Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well being, please contact your doctor. Hello, listeners. We have got something very exciting and fun lined up for you today on this episode of Tits Up with Megan and Sam. Sam, hello. Hello, everybody. And in today's episode, we're going to hear a pretty unique perspective. The caregivers, and in our case, our husbands. Yay! Today we have Cody and Steven. Cody is mine. Steven is Sam's. <laughs> so grab a comfy seat, your favorite beverage, and let's dive into a heartfelt and candid conversation. So Steven and Cody, thank you for being here with us today. Of course, of course. It's a pleasure. Of course, we wouldn't miss it. <laughs> he just looked at me like, did I have a choice? <laughs> right. All right. So let's just start from the beginning. What were your initial reactions to finding out that your person had been diagnosed with breast cancer? So initially, you know, I don't want to go off on, on too much of a backstory, but uh, we found a lump in her chest. I was hoping as much as I could, that it was malignant, but of course we-, we You mean benign? Benign, ben benign, yeah. <laughs> You were hoping it was malignant, thanks, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, correct me on my medical terminology. So we got scanned and we got the results back and I joined her and the doctor and the doctor came back and, you know, wasn't too courteous, but, you know, she, you know, I don't think you can deliver a- cancer diagnosis any other than bluntly she basically came back in the waiting room and, and said you've got breast cancer so my first initial thoughts were i got to be there for my wife and that that means putting you know my personal stuff or whatever i got going on the back burner um and i was shocked because you know we're in our early 20s the last thing i would you know think my wife would be getting is breast cancer so um it was very eye-opening and very abrupt so yeah caught, caught us both very off guard especially myself it was shocking I, I think i think for me um you know like steven a uh, little bit of disbelief at first uh megan and i this has always been a concern of megan's um you know right when we first got together years ago she, it was when she got the the BRCA gene test and that ended up being negative and as a result i think we kind of just like or at least i did i kind of just stopped paying attention to it so every time she went and got a scan and then didn't have results for a couple of days and she was freaking out um i'd say you know it's fine i'll just slam and then this time she came back and um said you know they found something and once again i said you know i'm sure it's nothing we're not gonna flip out yet um you're so young it's not gonna happen uh and then it did so yeah a lot of disbelief obviously at first what was your initial reaction like when i first came home because when i first like i got the call that i had breast cancer at work at like 10 in the morning so i was like all right y'all like i'm out <laughs> i'm going home <laughs> so right. i came home and i called cody on the way home to tell him um and i just immediately like went up to my room just to go face first into a pillow for a little while and just contemplate my entire life and what this all means. And I think you wanted to give me some space. So you were downstairs, but what was that kind of like for you? Like that initial, like, Oh shit, like this is cancer. It was, here we go again. Um, 
My mom passed away from colon cancer, so, and I watched her battle that for almost a decade when originally they had only given her um, a couple of years. And um, she was my favorite person in the world, hands down. You know, before I met Megan, she was the person I trusted. She was the person I talked to about my time in the military. She, she was my person. And so that was a punch in the gut. So when I found out uh, Megan was in the exact same boat, like with, you know, two, three years later, um, I think it was more of just a, a bit of like surreal shock. And then when that passed, it was fucking chin down. Let's go. So sorry to hear about your mom, Cody. I could only imagine how that instantly, I'm sure, brought you back to all those negative emotions that associate and come along with cancer. And so to feel those were, I, you guys are also newly married, right? So I'm sure that was just, you were like, oh no, my beautiful new wife. Not yeah, it was, it was within a year of us being married. And, you know, your mom passed away late 2016. Um, and then, yeah, we got married in 2020. So that was, wow. I was, I was actually, you know, concerned about Cody from that perspective, like, well, shit. Cause like, I know that his mom was his absolute favorite person. I unfortunately never really got to know her all that well, um, before she passed away, but um that was that was the emotional roller coaster for him that i was concerned about steven what was how did you cope with that emotional roller coaster like i mean sometimes it's like well shit, i just need a drink sometimes people do it in healthy ways like going for a run but like how did how did you cope with that because you know the caregivers are just as involved in our life and our treatment Initially, after getting the diagnosis, like Cody said, you know, it's pretty much put, you know, put my chin down. I was like, all right, let's, let's get after it. I will be, be here for you every step of the way. Treatment started. Um, but I come from a big family, um, so I'm not, you know, new to major medical events, things throughout my family that have occurred. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, like, oh, shit, you know, my wife has breast cancer, but at the same time time it was like oh shit my wife has breast cancer i gotta be her rock she is young um and so it was the last thing on our minds we were moving starting new jobs so pretty much you know i had to i had to be her rock uh i i the way i coped with it wasn't was really being there for her you know um i don't think you know when when your significant other gets you know something like a major diagnosis of breast cancer, any other medical related experience, I think, you know, the only option is to be there for them and, and coping with that um, on your own terms. For me, you know, it was going to the gym and just and sticking to a routine, um, really having, my, you know, making sure she had her meds set out, making sure we were, you know, making sure I was able to drive her to appointments, um, X, Y, and Z, and just being able to be like, yep, I'm going to show up for you. Um, and that, that was kind of just how I coped with it. You know, I don't think there is really any other good way to cope with it. You know, some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to drugs. Um, but for me, it was just being there for my wife and, uh, and making sure that I had myself squared away so that I could be there for her. Squared Dude, away, uh, sorry, just made me chuckle a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> is anything really squared away during that? But yes, I mean, that's, yeah. that's very well received. What about you, babe? In terms of what exactly like well like in terms of how you coped with it not like oh I not necessarily I like how you helped me but i like... don't cope with anything well on my own <laughs> i'm i i generally perk like the worst four or five options and i go through those first and then when those <laughs> fail then i try to like clean it up a little bit but that's how i do things and it's you know it's never always been the most positive thing but you learn from it um i think like Stephen was talking about, through my wife's work, I've become intimately familiar with the myriad of ways that men and husbands um, can just be real shitbags, for lack of a better term. Um, it became very apparent to us while we were going through this that um, a lot of dudes just bounce. Like, it's just too much for me to handle right now. Um, I've got my own shit going on. Good luck. And I don't think that's that, that uncommon. And, um, 
for me especially you know i got married because this is that's what i wanted to do this is who i want to be with this is who i'm going to fight for this is my You're battle ride or die yep and this is my battle just as much as hers and you know thick or thin good or bad this is where we're at now yeah and i never that never wavered i felt so supported i mean you know there were times that because we've you know sam you and i have talked about how we kind of like go inwards when we're really struggling and um you know i wasn't always very communicative <laughs> i'll say um and i think that sometimes i may have made it more difficult on you i don't know if you would agree to that but sometimes i might have made it more difficult um or not verbalized what i was thinking and feeling as much as i probably should have um but it, he yeah he never ever wavered and i could tell that so often he was putting aside like work um you know i was taking disability at the time and you know so we had to have this other income so poor cody was pretty much in charge of making all the money and still holding it down while i was running around with my t-rex arms or just an overall bad attitude. <laughs> and I think for me, the biggest thing that he and I have always had in our relationship, but I think it really came to light during such a shitty experience was humor. Um, regardless of what was going on, he and I both have a really dark sense of humor on our best days. And then you throw in a cancer diagnosis and we could find the most ridiculous, absurd thing to be laughing about. And that was the biggest help, I think, for me was having, you know, knowing that he was there and he wasn't going anywhere, but also just the fact that he made me laugh so many times a day in the face of something that was misery guts. Yeah, I definitely echo that. I, uh, almost hate to use the term rock now because I feel like it's overused and underappreciated. Um, but yeah, I definitely, and at times took you for granted because of what Cody was saying and how easy it is. I think when men to walk for men to walk away, not because of necessarily a lack of love, but just because I, I think it's harder to watch your partner be sick than for you to be sick yourself. At least I'll Absolutely. speak for myself in that. Absolutely. I tell Steven every day, like the, you know, one thing I'm grateful for is that you're not sick <laughs> and I don't know what I would do if it was you. I'm just grateful it was me because I would lose my mind. And he tells me the opposite every day. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm definitely grateful for that. And I think that kind of leads us into kind of the more more rough days. So Steven, Cody, what do you think was the hardest time through Megan and I's individual active treatment? Kind of like, does a day stick in your mind where you're like, that was just really fucking shitty and I can't wait to wait to wake up tomorrow because I know it'll be better than whatever hell that was. I mean, to be honest, the whole experience um, isn't pleasant. You know, it's never easy to see your partner or significant other in pain um, constantly on a weekly, daily, monthly basis, um, especially for a treatment plan that stems out, you know, a year, year and a half, two years. Um, and you know, they're just going to be having round after round of you know, chemo treatment and surgeries and X, Y, and Z. Um, so I wouldn't say, I mean, there's definitely days that stuck out. Like when you had your uh, tubes inserted, you know, inside of you and coming home after surgery and, and being like, okay, like my wife has tubes coming out the side of her and, you know, she just got a double mastectomy and, you know, that first morning and night we're dumping out drains that are, you know, liquid coming out you know this red yellow 
liquid <laughs> coming out. Yeah. And being <laughs> I couldn't have done that. I, I told him I couldn't look at it. I remember I was like, and he didn't even question. He was just like, uh, and I, and I know it's gross, but like, that's why I joke. You're the one that cleans up throw up and the dog's messes because. <laughs> yeah, and the doctors, the doctors got a I'm lot of trust. To him because he does the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> the the doctors, you know, they put a lot of trust in, you know, their you know your significant other or your caregiver after you get a procedure. You know, I'm I'm just sitting there thinking to myself like, how many ways this could go wrong? What if the tubes get infected? Um, so there's definitely that that side of the house, you know, where. Um, I had a lot of anxiety and um, I didn't definitely you feel pressure, but I think, you know, when you see your significant other in so much pain and you're not the one having to get the surgeries or get these chemos, you, you know, you think to yourself um, that that could be you, at least I did personally. And it, it really makes you take a step back and, and really be thankful for, you know, for your overall health. I wouldn't say it makes it easier, but I wasn't the one going through it. You were. But yeah, there was definitely plenty of days that stuck out, you know, after you got your first, like I said, the tubes. But when you got your first chemo treatment and you immediately before you even got home, your face turned into, you know, this, this, you know, to be blunt, a beehive. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, and, and the last thing, especially you, you don't like having acne. Yeah. Um, you get, you know, a pimple on your face and, you know. Well, any female, but especially you, get a pimple on your face and you're like, this is the worst. The end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) So to see to see that immediate reaction after your first treatment of chemo, that was um, pretty brutal. And and again, pretty eye opening to to see what was going to to have a glimpse that was going to be on the horizon to come. going down the line through treatment. Um, and that was just your first round of, you know, chemo and every three weeks. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a roller coaster, but, um, I think that the, the most difficult thing is just seeing your significant other in pain. But I think, um, how I navigated that again was, you know, that's not me. I'm perfectly healthy. So I got to make sure that I have all my stuff done, completed, whatever, household chores, so that I can take care of you. Um, And all those things become secondary. And, you know, with any marriage or relationship, chores and little tasks are always a, can be a a point for argument. Um, So it really just, it it definitely matures you if you're not already at that point in life. But um, looking back, you know, we were definitely past the stage of, are the floors going to be vacuumed or the, the counters going to be clean? Who's going to make dinner? Um, but it it definitely makes you appreciate how easy that life is and how life is without cancer. Um, and that, again, I wasn't the one with breast cancer. I was just there for my wife. Um, I think there were a lot of poignant days. Uh, but there's probably a handful that stick out distinctly. Um, I think the first time I ever met Megan's oncologist was probably one of the first big ones. Um, cause she screamed at me. No, oh, that was, that was the plastic surgeon. Oh yeah. Sorry. It was her, um, plastic surgeon. And, um, you know, I hadn't met her up to this point. Megan's uh, doctors right next to her work. She was still working at the time I was working in from home. And as a result, you know, it was so much easier for her to just go to these initial appointments five, five minutes down the road, then come back, get me or have me meet her. So I didn't actually meet her plastic surgeon um, until, you know, three or four appointments. in. actually, no, it was the pre-op. It was the pre-op for the double mastectomy. And um, we had a date, we'd had a date set for weeks. And, uh, we got a, we got a call like two days before that there was some kind of scheduling error and that they were going to push it back a couple of days. They, they literally told us like, like two days before this, this, the scheduled surgery. And I just called their office and I didn't think I was being that aggressive. I didn't think I was being that mean, 
but I just told him, like, under no, under no circumstances is that acceptable. Like, she's been hyping herself up to be ready for this for days, like, weeks, weeks, but you don't, you don't, you don't put somebody who's in that situation on that pedestal and then just pull it out from under them um, because of a scheduling error. And I, so I told him, I said, I don't care what your scheduling error is, figure it out and fix it. And they did. But the next time I met that doctor, uh, she just came in hot on me and now we love each other, but like, you, you know, it's just, um, so there was that, um, obviously coming home after the double was a whole experience in and of itself. Um, we, we found ourselves getting intimate in ways where we didn't think we would be doing that for another 50 years. Um, i.e. he had to wipe my ass. Bathroom trips. I, yeah. Bathroom trips. Right, right. Yeah, the whole nine. And, you know, she, and like Stephen was saying, I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if at some point the roles were going to get reversed, um, and it was, and it was what it was, you know, I, I was in the military. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, not afraid of gross stuff. Um, not afraid of blood, not afraid of any of that. I've seen it all. Um, but what is hard about is seeing it from your wife, you know, seeing it out of your wife, not being able to really control anything, not being able to really help. Um, and I think the, the, the two other circumstances that really stick out for me were, um, Stephen reminded me of this, the day you got your tubes removed. That was that the drive home after we got your tubes removed a week after they were supposed to do it, um, because of, because we forgot to measure her drains for a week. Right. <laughs> um, I told that story. And yeah, <laughs> that was not smart. But, um, you know, she was so euphoric. Like, just that was the best day she had had for six months was just getting those drains out. And um, and then the other bad one was the night before the hysterectomy and reconstruction. Like, I think both you and I, we had to be into the hospital at like 530 in the morning. And I think you and I just spent the entire night just trying to put our heads somewhere else and it wasn't working. And I think we were both pretty scared that night. I think we were more scared that night than we were before the double. I think before the double, we didn't really, I mean, we knew what we were walking into, but we didn't really know. But before the reconstruction and the hysterectomy, at that point, we knew. We knew what this was going to entail. And I think it was pretty scary for both of us. Um, so we just stayed awake all night that night, just trying to watch nature shows or something. We were watching David Attenborough because of his calming voice <laughs> the entire night. Right. I probably would have watched Steve Irwin or something. Crocodile, <laughs> mate. That'll hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you, what do you guys think you did best and what would you maybe have done differently throughout the whole thing? If anything. I don't, I don't really have any notes, but just from like a caregiver's perspective, what do you think you did really well? And what maybe would you do differently if God forbid we ever do it again? Um, I think for me, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about the way um, I slash we handled things throughout the process. Um, it's the post-process after when she was a hundred percent in remission that I probably could have exhibited a little bit more grace. But during the process, you know, it was a lot. I was trying to single-handedly run a business at the same time um, while going to every single appointment, every single surgery. You know, it was just a lot. But I don't feel like I really even had time to screw up. And if I did, we, you let me know and we, <laughs> we adjusted fire and did it again. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I actually, other than the, you know, other than what we were going through, I'm, I'm pretty, one of the few times in my life, I'm pretty just happy about the way I operated. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Steven? Yeah. I mean, to go off what Cody said, just showing up for appointments, um, you know, making sure you were there when your wife needed you, 
after, you know, I know Megan, you didn't get chemotherapy, but for Sam, chemotherapy was a, you know, monthly, monthly basis, if not twice weekly, a month, yeah. weekly, depending on where she was in, you know, her treatment cycle, um, being there for her, you know, when she couldn't sit up in bed or, you know, when she needed her medication or, you know, having food for her, um, just, just providing that care as much as you can controlling really, there's a lot of factors, a lot of external factors when your significant other gets diagnosed with breast cancer that you can't control. You know what I mean? You can't control what type of cancer she has. You can't control the treatment she's going to get, you know, to a certain extent. Um, there's definitely decisions involved in the treatment plans, um, but you don't get to decide what those are. Um, so I think it's important to note for any other husbands that, um, you know, your significant other does get diagnosed with breast cancer is just to show up for her and control everything you can control, making sure the house is clean for her, um, anything that stresses her out, doing that for her so that she doesn't have to worry about it. Whether that's, you know, showing up to the appointments or making a peanut butter and jelly for her or taking the dogs out, anything. You just, you got to show up. Um, I, and again, like Cody said, not to toot my own horn, horn but um, I showed up. Um, and if I didn't, you know, Sam, please say otherwise. Um, but the best I could, there's definitely places where, um, I probably could have done better, i.e. researching the type of treatment plans she was getting or asking a few more questions at the doctor's office. But again, it's not, this isn't a routine that you walk through on every leg of your life. Um, you know, you don't get diagnosed with breast cancer every day. So um, navigating it on the fly, um, I think I did pretty well. Um, but husbands, like there's going to be things that, you know, it's not like waking up, brushing your teeth and going to work. It's not routine. So um, do the best you can with what you have and what you can control um, and, and everything you can't, that's how you control. So you, you better make sure that the things you can control are controlled. So, well, don't we just have two superstars, Megan? <laughs> I think in short, just like, you know, for any husbands or significant others that might hear this, don't be a punk. Step up, be the person that you promised to be. Like, you know, on a normal day, that might not be so necessary. But when your significant other is so diminished and so dependent on you to even just run to Walgreens to pick up prescription, go get that prescription when it's ready. Like just, you know, whatever it might be, just step up. Like Steven was saying, yep. show up, step up and don't be a punk. Yeah. Wherever you can, you know, make as the least amount of resistant resistance for your wife to get through treatment and to get through everything associated with a breast cancer diagnosis, you got to do that um, to the best of your ability. Um, because if you don't do it, it's going to be on her. Not well, saying that you have to do it, but if you don't show up, it's going to be on your wife to carry that load. Well, Megan and I talked about that at times, and we just didn't even understand how somebody going through this alone, especially with like a double mastectomy, um, especially in those days following a surgery, would even be able to operate on their own without uh, a diligent caregiver. Like I just, I didn't see it being a possibility. So, you know, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to show up or you're going to leave her hanging. And when you do that, it's going to hurt more. It's going to take longer. It, the recovery is going to be longer. Like just you, you basically, you have two options. It, even getting out of bed, it was um, like, if I was in a, like a laying down position, it was a whole process just to even get me out of bed when I couldn't like sit up on my own. He would, <laughs> he would come in first and like grab my legs and pull them off the side of the bed. So that was step one. Then he'd run around the other side of the bed and slowly like push me up from like the back butt region. And then he would run back around and help me like stand up. This is why I'm like, 
if I could have had anything, it would have been a zero gravity chair or something like that. Even just the smallest things that you cannot do. I'm like, I don't know how anybody would do this on their own. And I know that there are people that do, but like, my God, and kind of to your point, Stephen, that you were talking about earlier and you too, Cody, but like showing up and going to those appointments, I think, you know, of course there's the aspect of, you know, yes, you know, somebody is there for moral support, um, but not having to explain something again. I mean, getting that information just to begin with is it's traumatic and you don't always understand it and to have somebody mm -hmm. else there where now you can just yes. have a conversation with them about it because they were there and you're not trying to play this middleman and explain what this well-educated oncologist just explained to you you know like my brain just shorted out consistently and on the way home on the drives and stuff cody would say something to me and i'm like oh <laughs> I blacked that out completely. I do not even remember that part of the conversation. It's really, really helpful to have that other brain, that other set of listening ears there. Right. I, I definitely think that it's, it's really easy to take that for granted. So I think that kind of leads into what's one thing you've either learned about yourselves through kind of the whole cancer experience or one thing you've learned about, you know, our relationships with each other going through it well i mean you've always been a tough cookie that's one of the reasons why i married you um but it was really eye-opening to see you know how resilient you really are um and how courageous you you really are i mean like i already knew that before i married you but this just took it to a whole nother level um i mean you cried you know throughout this whole process but not not as not as much as one would. Um, and I know you did cry, um, but you were strong. You were you were very strong. I didn't I didn't have to. You know, there were times that I did have to sit there and and you know just be a listening ear for you. But more often than not, you know, you were pretty um, pretty resilient. Um, so that it just opened my eyes to how much you really are resilient and tough in all aspects, not just physically or emotionally, not just to contain this into a breast cancer diagnosis, um, or this podcast, but, you know, communication is important in every relationship. And we did have, you know, we did have our communication pretty down pat, but it definitely improved over this treatment process what's yeah. loved about megan is uh you know I'm, i know she might have it might be having a bad day i know that day might just almost break her but i also know that the next day she's gonna get up and do it again um and that's what i love about her you know you combine that with her kindness and you get somebody who um <laughs> for me in a weird way and megan and i have discussed this hundreds of times i feel like you know it almost yeah we've always been good communicators <laughs> but it brought us closer she was so dependent on me for certain things and i was just so wrapped up in making sure that those things were handled and like what we could control we did control for the better and uh, yeah, it's going to do one of two things. I think for a lot of couples, it's going to either drive a wedge that's really hard to overcome, or it's going to bring you closer. And, you know, you get to choose which one of those it is. Yeah. I, I got to see a different, I, I was going to say a different side of Cody and that's not it. I mean, Cody has always been uh pretty rough and gruff but just so soft and teddy bear with me and you know but i hadn't yet been in that position where you know i broke down what i found to be pretty often um you know i would have moments where i would just go upstairs act like everything's fine i'm just gonna go lay down or something and next thing you know i'm like fetal position in the corner, just sobbing because, you know, I can't look at myself in the mirror. I don't like what I'm seeing now. I don't know how I'm ever going to feel pretty or confident or whole ever again, you know, and 
for those listening out there, it, it does get better. I mean, it's, it's cliche to say, but it really does. But how much better it's going to get or if it's ever going to be anything similar, that's where my brain wasn't able to go to. You know, I was very stuck in this is my now, but this is also going to be my forever. And in those moments of just just grief and sobbing, I <laughs> I remember him coming up and being like, what in the hell are you doing? Not meaning what in the hell are you doing crying? But what the hell are you doing hiding these emotions? Like, no, 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 come here. And he would get on the ground with me and hold me and let me curse and cry and throw something or whatever. And at no point did that ever scare him off or make him think that, at least I hope not, (laughs) make him think that I'm crazy or I've lost the plot completely, you know? Like, it was, I... I was able to realize, especially since we were in our first year of being married, that he is my safe space. He is the person that I can go to and I can be completely raw and overcome. Um, And I don't always have to be showing that strong side. Um, And that, I think, really kind of elevated and pushed our relationship forward a lot. Yeah, I think... uh kind of a part I'm grateful for now, but wasn't in the time is Stephen never, you know, his, his loyalty never wavered or anything, but something that he did amazingly well was he complimented me, uh, over complimented me, over complimented me to the point where I knew it was fake. If that makes sense. I'm throwing up on the streets of Waikiki and he's like, so hot, baby. so hot, <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I know that's not hot, right? Like we have to draw a line here. And I, I struggled to communicate that with him. And it was just really hard for me to say, it's okay for me to be uglier than I was before all of this. That's all I want you to say. But he truly just, I think, never saw me as differently than his beautiful wife, which is why he said that. But like I said, while the act of throwing up, I definitely didn't need the compliments. But we kind of touched on this in the very beginning, but and Stevie, let's start with you. But what yeah. did you do for? I mean, we always just use the term self-care and a lot of people just tend to think that that's like getting your nails done in a bubble bath, you know, but it can look like a number of different things. What did you do specifically? Because from my understanding, I haven't been there personally, but caregiving is hard. You're running your own life. You're trying to keep the family unit afloat. And then you're also, you know, dealing with the, the throw up and the tears and, you know, just the emotional um, weight of everything. And you had to have done something um, to keep yourself from breaking at certain points. What, what was that for other caregivers out there that will be listening to this? I mean, for me, it was, it was having a routine and, and really just knowing what I was going to do outside of taking care of Sam um, to take care of myself. Um, That, that to me looked like, you know, making sure that I went to the gym, making sure that everything was taken, like not direct, not directly giving care to Sam, um, not like, you know, helping her, but but having a routine for the household, um, making sure the dishes were washed, dinner was made, um, you know, gas was in the car, um, having something to, you know, check out the list every day and say, no matter, you know, what happens, you know, I know I'm going to be in the gym, let out all my frustrations at this time, I'm going to have all my stuff, you know, all my clothes folded and put away so I don't have to be worrying about doing laundry. Um, on a, on a weekly to daily basis, having a routine and structure so that you're not just aimlessly wandering through, you know, a cancer diagnosis, but you know, your own day-to-day life and, and self-care for me, that's what that looks like. It's just having a structured routine so that I'm not just aimlessly wandering from day to day without having maybe not 
necessarily a huge goal, but like a just a daily goal of like, hey, I need to check my list off, get these things done. So at the end of the day, if I didn't do anything else, I know I got these things done. Something happened, something occurred. Um, and and again, that that's kind of how I coped, you know, is having that routine is um, for me, it's like, I love lists. I love checking little boxes off lists. Um, and I'm a huge procrastinator too. So um, when I can, you know, wake up and have five things to do, it makes me feel accomplished. Um, you know, what those things look like for you might not be the same things that they are for me. Um, but it definitely helped keep some sort of sanity throughout the whole treatment um, is just having a structured routine day to day so that, you know, two weeks go by, we're going to appointments every day. I'm going, you know, I work full time, um, that things aren't jumbled all over the place. Well, you know, for me, it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like Steven did things the right way. Um, <laughs> like I said earlier, I don't always do things the right way. I do things my way. And, um, you know, throughout the entire year and a half long process, um, I didn't have a very good routine. I didn't have a very good um, self care plan. I was so wrapped up in, you know, first priority was Megan. The second priority was um, my business. And I think when you're kind of trying to run your own hustle, that's hard enough and you invest enough time in that, like on a good day that, you know, when you're going through something like this and you're stepping away from what you do for money three times a week or more for doctor's appointments or completely dedicating three or four days to a surgery or something like that. Um, I was just so embroiled in trying to maintain the home trying to um make money and first and foremost make sure megan was taken care of that i didn't i i would collapse at the end of the day at 10 o'clock with whiskey that's what i did and um you know and it worked fine throughout the entire process where um and i'm sure you guys are i'm sure we'll get into this but where it, it wasn't helpful was at the end um was when you know, we were through the cancer journey and that year and a half finally rolled downhill on me. That's when, um, that's when everything kind of went south for me. So yeah, I mean, caregivers have, do you have to find something for yourself? Like you have to, like Stephen was saying, go to the gym, um, you know, have the things that you do for yourself, for your own self-care. Um, Cause if you don't, it'll get overwhelming. Um, things will start piling up and the more they pile up, the more overwhelmed you are, the more that pulls you away from the things you should be doing with your significant other. And yeah, it just, it can get really tough. So you've got to do what you can, when you can to take care of yourself. So for the, for the other caregivers out there that are either like, their significant other just got diagnosed. Um, you know, we've we've heard the uh, probably like the healthy way <laughs> to go about that with Stephen. Um, you know, you mentioned that it it rolled downhill later on. Can you go into that a little bit more if you're comfortable with it? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you when were you officially in remission? About two years later. I mean, yeah, it's everybody's kind of conflicted on when that was because it didn't go to my lymph nodes. So some people say that I was, quote unquote, in remission from the actual cancer right after my double mastectomy. But I still had a series of reconstruction surgeries. I had to um, freeze my eggs and there was that whole process. Um, I had the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. OK, so when, when when would you say the journey ended? Almost two years after it started? Yeah, probably. All right, so that would have been like mid um, 2021? Diagnosed in 2021, 2022. So probably early 2023 is when I would say that I was like back at it and feeling like I could make it through a day of work. No, early 2022 is when you went back to work. Oh, you're right. So um, <laughs> it doesn't, so yeah, she, I think it was, I think you were diagnosed in 
You were diagnosed in 20. Nope, 21. We can edit this. We can, yeah, we'll I love this. I love this. I'm living for this. So, and, um, I'm going to keep like a little bit of it in like, no way, no way. <laughs> so um, we knew Megan was planning to go back to work in February of 2022. Yes. And we finished that journey about six months before that in late 2021. So you know, we just wanted to get out of Dodge, get both of our heads somewhere else. Um, and just kind of at the time, give Megan something to look forward to, like something, um, that she wanted to get out of bed for and something that she didn't have to get out of bed for like a doctor's appointment. So, um, we spent two weeks in Ireland and, um, early 2022 and you know that was great i saw some of the old like some of the old megan coming back she you know we were in an environment where she could just pretend like that wasn't a thing for a bit and um and that was great but when we got back and when she got back to work that's when i kind of just was like you're back let's go um time for you to start doing the dishes again Time for, you to start, time for you to start doing all this stuff again. And I had very little patience for her post-recovery recovery. I didn't give her time really to come out of what I knew. Like, I, you know, I've, I've lost friends. I've had friends lose legs. Like, it's not a short journey. That trauma, even when you're medically healed, that trauma is going to persist for a long time. And I knew that, but I didn't apply it to Megan. What I was applying to Megan was, you're my wife, I need help with this stuff now. And um, so while throughout the process, I think I handled things, both of us handled things with a lot of grace. Um, once we were officially through the process, um, that patience on, on my end waned significantly. And I didn't handle um, a lot of her just the slow journey back to 100%. Um, it wasn't, I equated, okay, you're, you're done with the journey, you're healthy, you're back. And I didn't necessarily give her, I mean, it's been another year and a half to kind of like get you to the point where you're smiling again, like, you know, you're laughing again. Um, and that took a long time. So just, you know, just because it's over doesn't mean it's over. And everybody knows that. But when you rely on the other person for, you know, whether it be financial, emotional, all of it, all the above. Um, yeah, I just I didn't handle things well, after the fact. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I think that's also Megan and I's strong nature kind of coming out. That's the negative side of that is when it's gone, it's kind of like a drop off. And then we're like, come on, pick it up. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Like, that's a lot to pick up. So I think that's the other side of that. But I definitely think both of you, you know, did, did the best that you could in the time you could. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, and you seem to be, you know, much more in tune with that now, which is amazing. Like we said before, a lot of people never even get there or blow it off. You know, you had the surgery, you ain't got no more tumor. You good. Yep. And I mean, I actually, it, it kind of <laughs> warms my heart to hear Cody say that because, you know, I also was holding myself which I think a lot of cancer patients and especially breast cancer patients and women, you know, like when you've been out of the game for so long, you're feeling like, oh my God, I need to start pulling my weight again. And, you know, whether it's society, um, a spouse, a friend, a family member, whatever. Um, but for me, it was a lot of me being like, okay, I no longer have this quote unquote excuse to be less than. And I still struggle on a daily basis to 
you know, remember who it was that I was and can I still be that person? Um, and it, it was tough. Um, I always, I, I equate it to kind of like an earthquake and then like the aftershock of an earthquake. Like my diagnosis and all of my bullshit was the earthquake. And then there was the aftershock. And that was where, you know, my husband who I love, I, I couldn't love him anymore. I don't think, <laughs> but I'm sure over time I will find more ways because I fell in love with him more and more every day all during that. And to see him now struggling, you know, he had to tamp down his feelings and emotions. I mean, I would argue that he didn't have to, but I think that, you know, for him, at least he did have to tamp down so many of his feelings um, while he was taking care of me and no one was really taking care of him. And, you know, he'll be the first one to say it. He already did say it, that he's not great at asking for help <laughs> from other people. And that was more or less his time to, you know, grieve and say like, oh my God, I've been through a thing too. And now I need help. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it makes me smile to hear him say it, but also it, it hurts my heart, you know, like I didn't, you don't want your person going through that also and you know like when you're in a good relationship with somebody you want to be able to take the load off of the other person and for so long i felt like i was such a burden um and i know that you wouldn't say that i i know that full well but i felt like such a burden um and like i was dragging this relationship down that i wanted to get back into it as soon as possible and i just like mentally i just kept hitting a wall and there were those months afterwards that the two of us who were so in sync and so good together during cancer, it kind of just exploded. And we were like, wait, what the fuck just happened? And how do we go back to real life? Um, and I think, at least speaking for myself, I think we've kind of realized that that's going to be a longer journey and we aren't going to have the same life that we did before but that doesn't mean that it's worse it's just not the same like we found new new I th areas I think you went back to work a little too quickly oh i know i did yeah. and um <laughs> with what your job is and the pace and the emotional toll that it takes on you i think it's every i thought i think it was you know in hindsight it was everything you had in you just to show up to work so it to but to me at the time it almost felt like you you still weren't back like you were making money again but you still weren't back because now instead of it being cancer that's dominating everything it's um it's work and you just didn't have the bandwidth at the time um to you know handle things like you do now which is just normal life but when you immediately after you came back you just didn't have the bandwidth for all of it so i just kind of felt like even though you were quote unquote healthy again, I kind of felt like we were still just in the same rut. And yeah, it was, it was testing. Did you feel like I was just giving up on you? No, I just felt like, I just felt like we were both overwhelmed, couldn't keep up and it was all just too much. And we were just kind of flailing. Yeah, I agree with that. Have you guys, I mean, Sam just, I think I told you this, but like Sam just finished like her last chemo. Congratulations. So, Thank yeah. you. But I mean, have you guys encountered anything like that? Or like, is there anything that you would have done differently? Either this is to Sam or to Steven, or did you, did you find like that new relationship with you guys? Or has it just been like, fucking um, awesome? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think at the beginning it was hard I think that toughness in me really tried to shine through everything and I don't think I let him really be a part of all of the really really raw stuff like if he would you know wake up and go to the gym because his mindset was I'll wake up and go to the gym before she wakes up but I was like I've been up for three hours throwing up so you know but I would still try to avoid that and I don't know I know now that it was just the uncomfortableness and vulnerableness and not because like I didn't 
I didn't think he would support me, but because when it's every day, it just, it's a really depressing reality to live in that you don't want to be in and you don't want to drag another person into that. So I think for a while I tried to really shield him from that, even though it was impossible. And then when I finally truly like was honest and had those moments with him, I really think it improved our communication and the trajectory of our relationship to those really raw points that you don't want to ever get to. And I also told him if he ever wants me to take care of him when we're 60 plus, he should probably, you know, start the track record off right. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's the other side of the script that nobody really talks about is like, for all you husbands out there, um, yeah, you need to show up for your wife and, and be her stronghold. But also you have to understand that she's asking you to do all these things because she needs you to do all these things, but she also can't do these things that she's asking of you. Um, unless you got a, a really crazy wife, but you know, within reason, she's asking for all these things from you because she either can't physically do it or she doesn't have the mental bandwidth to do it. So it's not just doing it because she's asking you to do it, which you should be doing already. Um, if you're not, you, you know, I need to go to marriage counseling, but that's a whole other podcast, you know, and or episode who knows. Um, but yeah, they, they're asking you because they can't do it and they don't want to ask you. They, you know, if they could not include you in any part of the treatment process for most wives, they probably wouldn't because they know how much, it is physically and mentally straining on themselves, um, let alone, you know, to share that load with you. Um, so on one side of the spectrum, it's awesome to go through it together. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum is like your wife, if she could, she probably wouldn't involve you in any of this. Um, from the, asking you to go, you know, get her, get her food or help her up from the bed after she gets a double mastectomy or like Cody was saying that, you know, wipe her ass. Um, she doesn't want to ask you to do any of these things. Like no, you should. Mortified. Absolutely. When mortified. She, so when she does ask you to do these things for her, um, you should do it gracefully um, because she doesn't want to be in the position that she's in. Um, and even if it's a load on you, it's exponentially more load on her. So. So for, um, if you had like a, a parting thought or a statement or a comment for the spouses out there, husbands or wives, um, who are trying to prep themselves and kind of pump themselves up for like, okay, I got a job to do here. What would some parting words be for them? to either help or to tell them how to not suck, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully just how, how to help. <laughs> so specifically in regards to the cancer diagnosis, uh, be very involved in scheduling of appointments. Um, that's, that is one part where I kind of fell short because I was confused and really just ignorant to the fact that it's not all one place. You might have to call a different office. Um, you might have to talk to a different doctor. You might have to call three different offices. Um, so be involved in, in that aspect of it. Um, do your best to, to show up for the appointments. You know, majority of adults work full time. So I know that can be difficult. Um, but, but do the best you can. Um, to show up for the appointments and also just to make the current, you know, home that you live in a safe space for her physically and mentally as much as you can. Because the last thing on her mind that she wants to have on her mind is that the bathroom needs to get cleaned or dinner needs to get made. Um, so I'll leave off with, you know, control the factors that you can control. Um, which are, you know, some of the things I just touched on and then 
do not focus any of your mental energy towards the things you can't control, which is her cancer diagnosis um, and a lot of the types of surgeries that she's going to have to get. Because, yeah, you're going to probably think about that, cry about it, maybe drink some alcohol, a couple shots of whiskey or the liquor of your choice or, you know, whatever whatever that is for you. Whatever um, your vice is. Whatever your vice is, exactly. Whatever your vice is. Um, maybe take five minutes, maybe take 15 minutes, maybe sleep on it, but don't let it haunt you throughout her treatment because you're already going to have to do and expend a lot of your energy in other places. And the last place that you should be expending your energy in is a place that you cannot do anything for her and it's not going to do any good towards, you know, getting her through treatment. So spend your time on the things you can control and all the other external factors, you literally just, they go to the wayside because you can't touch them. Immovable objects. Oh, and even watching the treatment is, I know, expendable. I'm, when, at least the first six months of my chemo treatment, eight hours plus, them caregiver chairs are not comfy, bug. I know mm -hmm. that. Um, you're going to feel like you can't <laughs> do a lot or that you're not doing a lot, but show up. Like when she went to chemo, we went to chemo and I sat there in a chair for eight hours and it's not like I can, you know, reach in, reach inside and pull the cancer out or, or fix her. Um, so I didn't spend any of my energy, you know, on that. It was, Hey, what do you want to eat for lunch? It Starbies. Was, what do you want to eat for dinner? It was washing the sheets, you know, on a much more often basis, uh, so that she had a comfortable place to, you know, go lay down. Um, it's all the little things. Make sure, that, you know, you can't control the, the diagnosis. Control the small things, like the simple things that, you know, that your wife, that you know your your wife specifically is going to appreciate and it's also going to make it easier for her to navigate, you know, cancer. So Every woman loves clean sheets. Don't exactly. act like that was just me specific <laughs> well, to I your know, wife. I know, but we're talking, to, we're talking to a broad audience, so, you know. <laughs> to each their own but uh those are those are my parting words um and show up and do the best that you can do within your control and you might not gonna you're not you're probably not gonna do everything perfect because i know i didn't nobody does this isn't routine but do your best and that that's the important part do your best to show up for your wife in every way that you can yep yeah i think i think um i think steven uh you know, said it really well, be present, um, have a relationship with her doctors, know what's going on. Um, you know, on that note, Megan's OBGYN, who I know, um, she really, she really loves. And I think you've probably talked to her about her a couple of times, but, um, after her hysterectomy, it was on a Friday and, um, it was, it was late at night and, you know, they did the hysterectomy first, then she bailed, then your plastic surgeon came in to do the reconstruction um, while you were still under. So OBYGN left and was on her way up to Vail um, for the, you know, to enjoy her weekend. Um, Megan comes out of surgery, she's got a catheter in, obviously, and something's wrong. It is just so uncomfortable. Like she's still pretty sedated. So I don't think you even remember this, but you were literally trying to climb out of the hospital bed. Nurses were pursing you down. Like, and like, it was very obvious that it was the catheter. And, um, you know, the nurses were like, well, we can't take it out. We don't have a doctor's orders. It's, it's 10 30 PM on a Friday. I have her phone number. I call her and I'm like, Hey, Megan's losing her mind. She's like, hand the phone to the nurse. Hand the phone to the nurse. Next thing you know, catheter's out. Megan's fine. But if I didn't have her number, I don't know how many hours you would have laid there until a doctor finally decided it was okay to pull the catheter. Yeah. Um, so have a relationship with the docs. Know what's going on. Um, be present. Take care of yourself. Take care of her. Do what you promised to do in your vows. If you're not married, don't be a coward. Do what you can. For, you know, I know, do what you can for the person that you're in a relationship with, because it's almost, it, it'd be incredibly hard, you know, I'm not going to say impossible because people do it, but it, 
it's next to impossible to do on your own. So be present, do what you can, see what needs to be done before it needs to be done. Um, yeah. Don't make her beg to, you know, when you see that she's out of water, go get her some water. Know what meds she needs to take and when, and you be the one that drives that. Cause. Yep. Oh, I remember I set, I set alarm clocks on my phone because she had five different meds and yeah, it was overwhelming. Um, but you know, that's a way that you show up for your wife. I remember, and I probably still have the alarm set on my phone. Um, you know, the names of the meds, when to take them and, you know, put it in there because you don't want, you know, yeah. Cody still I, I resonate with that. Every Cody. night, he's like, have you taken your meds? Have you taken your meds, Meg? It's 10 p.m. Go take your meds. I'm always like, I don't want to. <laughs> but yeah, he still does that. Um, We, I mean, I already love you, Stephen. <laughs> this is the first time we've really, really met. But I don't think that, you know, I understand that this is something that, you know, you sign up for when you get married and all of that, but that doesn't, I think, detract from how grateful and appreciative and all of those words that I am towards Cody. And I really did mean it that, you know, every day, no matter how shitty I felt, he did show up and I fell in love with him more in that one year than I did in like the four years leading up to us even getting married. It can be a, a really shitty fucked up experience that brings you two together. Um, or it could be something that breaks you and you get to choose. You, Cody just said you get to choose. Um, so I just thank you both for being here with us today. We love you both so much. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure, he says. Thanks for listening to me ramble. <laughs> we love you guys. Um, so Sam, do you have any final thoughts? Any final words? Um, yeah, just, you know, been said before, but you two have been our rocks and we couldn't have done it without you. So, um, ladies and caregivers and anyone else listening please remember tits up please follow us on social media to stay in the loop with what's going on with us uh next to us on instagram facebook um, our instagram handle is at tits up underscore podcast for the latest episodes we will be ho uh, hopefully posting some hilarious memes coming up and we're always trying to inspire and make you all feel seen and heard. Um, and we would love everybody's feedback. So have a great week. We will see you next Thursday. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different and just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.